What's up, guys? Welcome to the Dabao Podcast. Jada here. In this series, we bring Malaysians all around the world to you. We will have a glimpse of how life is at their side of the world. That's a really old article, right? I think it's like twenty. 20- 17 maybe yeah I, I, I tried to dig really deep <laughs> <laughs> okay mm-hmm. yeah so I, yeah that time I was working for a really cool startup what's up guys welcome back to the Dabao podcast please don't tell me that I'm the only one that is guilty for having more screen time during the pandemic I gotta admit it that I don't really play video games, but I did spend some time experimenting a very popular multiplayer game online called Among Us when I was stuck at home. Ever wondered what's happening in our brains during the games? In this episode, we have a Malaysian psychologist that is working on her PhD on video games. Let's welcome Evelyn to the Tapao Podcast. Hi, Evelyn. Hi. Welcome back to Malaysia. Thank you so much. So, are you back for good or just back for a bit? I'm only back for a couple of months. Um, mm-hmm. I usually return around this time to see my family and spend mm. time with them. So, um, I came back a little bit earlier because of the pandemic, and yeah, um, I got like permission to work remotely from the UK. Oh. So, I'm not really on holiday. I'm <laughs> still. <working. laughs> But how um, do you cope with like the time differences? You know, between UK and Malaysia, there's like an eight-hour time differences, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. Um, so usually, I would a lot of my meetings would happen if I if it's with the UK, it will happen mm-hmm. in the evening for me or like five or six pm. Ah. Um, and then right now, usually around this time of the year, um, I've got experiments planned for uh, from January onwards. But mm-hmm. because I don't have to contact any like work with any humans directly right now, because <laughs> my current mm-hmm. projects are using um the video game APIs. Um, uh, it's okay. So I, mm. I only really have meetings with my supervisors every week. So I hope that you're enjoying your time at home. Share with us a little bit about yourself. I am a PhD student. I currently study at the University of York, and I'm under this program known as IGI, which stands for Intelligent Games and Game Intelligence. Um, and the research group that I'm part of has uh, over 60 of us across different. Uh, research areas when it comes to games. So some people deal with um, how to improve uh, game development and game design, and mm-hmm. like there's other people like me who try and look at how do we improve the player experience and understand player behavior. Um, mm. And I am in my uh, oh, I just started my third year out of four years. Um, oh, yeah. So you have two more years to go. Yeah, exactly. So in the in the program I'm part of, there is because it's a doctoral training program, which is different to a typical PhD. So a typical PhD in the UK is usually three years, um, but a doctoral training program they give you your first year um, as like a training year where you take modules and classes, and it's essentially like a master's. So you mm. only really start your PhD in your second year. Mm. So have you always been in the UK, or you went to the UK for a PhD? So I went to the UK for um, undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of just been there ever since. I came back for about a year um, mm-hmm. before I started my PhD. But yeah, I've been living in the UK for maybe about seven years now. It's so interesting because I like so many people around me after they complete their undergrad, like they most probably will go for masters or go into like you know working. How did you end up in that very special pathway? When I did psychology in my undergraduate, I kind mm-hmm. of. 
always knew that it wouldn't just end with a bachelor's mm-hmm. at the time because I know that if you want to be a, a trained psychologist like a qualified psychologist you actually have to have a master's or higher yeah um, and so I always knew that I would at least get a master's um, but I also grew up playing video games so I actually used to mm-hmm. play Dota before it became Dota 2 um, oh. and um, there was actually one day doing my undergraduate class where it was like a stats lecture and the lecturer was showing a slide with some data from League of Legends, which is not a game like Dota, which mm-hmm. I started playing. And I was really intrigued because it seemed very um, strange and out of the blue, but also interesting. Um, and then sort of spoke to him after the class and said whether, and asked whether I could do my um, like final year project with him. Oh, His name huh. is Alex Wade. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, he was really a good supervisor because he really allowed me to sort of go crazy and just try whatever I mean it was a bachelor's project in the end yeah um, mm-hmm. and so I actually ended up like um, testing to see whether a complex video game like League of Legends would have any uh, impact on how our brain uses its cognitive resources mm-hmm. and I had this like crazy um, idea to try and see if it would like improve like whether after you play League of Legends mm-hmm. you would be um, any better at doing uh, mental arithmetic in your head. <laughs> so, so what was the result? <laughs> No, nothing. <laughs> I don't think it's true. Um, yeah, I wish it were true. I don't know. I mean, but 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 to be fair, it was also a bachelor's project, and yeah, exactly. In undergrad, you, you know, you, you don't really know what you're doing. You kind of mm-hmm. just try anything. Um, but it, it gave me really good insight into like the research life, and like it it mm. opened up this idea that um, doing research using video games mm-hmm. could be a thing. And yeah. so when I did my masters, I kind of just kept on pursuing this sort of idea so like in every essay or every piece of coursework that I had I would always link um, uh, workplace things with game things um, yeah kept, kept just sort of feeding this curiosity and uh, yeah mm-hmm. kind of kept on kept on doing different um, projects related to games and games in the workplace um, so I also did my master's project on um, how you can improve trust in um, newly formed virtual teams using the mm-hmm. video game Space Team. like a, It's a mobile game and mm-hmm. um, everyone has to sort of give each other, um, tell each other what problems they're having on their um, control board and hopefully somebody in the team mm-hmm. has to... Stay. Yeah, I heard, I've heard about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so mm-hmm. it can get very chaotic. <laughs> and, but the, the whole idea of that game was to try and see whether compared to a, um, a typical social icebreaker... Uh, whether playing a video mm. game would help to build trust quicker. And uh, we, we found that it did. Uh, and this was kind of building up on previous other works from other researchers as well that kind of showed that, you know, if you mm. play games, it's much more effective at team building than it is um, doing a random social icebreaker like, what's your favorite mm. cat uh, or what do you like to eat? Like, that's not as, for whatever reason, that's not as effective as actually doing a task together that forces you to cooperate. So you didn't really like start your PhD out of nowhere. It actually built from the foundation that you had in your undergraduate. Yeah, you can say that. It's not like I always wanted to do a PhD. Even the idea of doing a PhD was mm-hmm. not something that uh, ever came to mind. It was never an aspiration. It kind of just, you know, little by little opportunities opened and um, I kind of was aware of what I enjoyed doing. Yeah, so share with us, how does a day as like a PhD student is like? I think one of the, the nicest things, but also the most challenging thing is that you have no structure in your day. So mm-hmm. you t- decide the structure by yourself. So Because you, usually, 
Um, besides my first year, from my second year onwards, from the, in the last year, I've had no classes whatsoever, nothing to, like, nobody is forcing you to do anything. There are no grades to to uh, work towards. It's just every year you will know whether you've passed or failed. So there's no structure in how you choose your day because there's nobody, um, there are no more grades to work towards. There's no more coursework. Mm-hmm. There's no more projects that is, like, put upon you or forced upon you. You have mm-hmm. to decide. Um, um, I usually have a plan a weekly plan mm-hmm. and, a, and a larger sort of like PhD goals or what my thesis needs to look like. Mm-hmm. So going into a PhD, you kind of need to know or hope or sort of know what you're trying to get out of it and, and design studies or experiments around, around them. Um, so I have a rough idea in my timeline of like at this point to do this study, at this point to do this study. And so the, the time, the months leading up to that will be a lot of uh, reading. I don't know if you like mm-hmm. reading research papers so they can be very long and very time consuming yep. <laughs> not in my cup of tea <laughs> yeah. yep. so I do a lot of that because you need to know um, how your work is fitting or filling a gap a need mm-hmm. uh, that's currently out there and you won't know that unless you read a lot so I do a lot of reading um, and I do a lot of experiment planning because I am a psychologist or that has taken sort of like a hybrid approach because I'm not purely traditional psychology anymore mm-hmm. um, for some of my more uh, like lab-based experiments, there's a lot more thought that needs to go into it because the other mm-hmm. collection is very resource-intensive in terms of cost and time, especially when you're doing team research. Um, mm-hmm. Like You don't really get much uh, feedback during a PhD, mm-hmm. and so sometimes you don't actually know whether you're doing the right thing or doing the wrong thing or working towards something or not. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens if like you went into the wrong direction and stayed? Like, would there be like a supervisor that would like pull you back, or it's you're completely on your own? You need to know what you're doing. Yeah. So it. So you would have. Hopefully, everybody has a supervisor who kind of yeah, yeah. essentially shepherds them down the right direction and mm-hmm. makes sure that they're not going too far astray. I think that. <laughs> I discovered about Evelyn. I told her about this. Uh, because she was featured in one of the articles on IGN. So um, share with us about your research in layman terms, of course. <laughs> I actually study teams and I'm mm-hmm. really interested in um, what makes teams work well. Um, and there's two aspects to this idea of like a team that works well. Um, one aspect is performance. So how do teams achieve whatever it, objectives it was formed for? And the other aspect of working well is, you know, how do we get team members to, while they're trying to perform, also develop a a team climate or like a culture within a team that's positive and productive. Um, So So is that what, like, what one of the players will do or like, what do you mean? Like, who who will be in charge of doing that? Yeah, so Hmm. it would be, it would be like players. So if you imagine a typical Mm -hmm. Dota 2 game um, would be... If you play in solo queue, like if you're if you're playing by yourself, mm-hmm. um, you would be teamed up with four other strangers who all everybody has a role to play, mm-hmm. um, and everyone knows that the ultimate goal is to defeat the enemy team. Yeah. Um, but how do how do teams of strangers work together effectively? So if you think about any of the teams that you've ever worked with, usually you learn how to work together over time. You mm-hmm. you start to understand, you know, what works for someone, what doesn't work for someone. You start to be able to predict what they might need at which point. Um, and there's usually some form of training that, that comes to helping a team work together better. But mm-hmm. in a video game, like especially in like games like 
uh, competitive MOBAs like Dota, League of Legends, Overwatch, and whatnot, um, it's very common for strangers to just play together. Mm-hmm. Um, and but this situation is kind of interesting as well because it's like every time you enter a team, you are a new team. You are a new team of yeah. people with no history. And so the the kind of um, thread that ties the video game teams and the real world teams is like you know kind of how do you how do you get these new teams to function well in this short period of time. Mm. So I can imagine like every team will be very chaotic when they start in the beginning. So basically how to shorten the time. Exactly. The, the phrase I like to use is like, how do we accelerate teamwork? Mm, yeah. So because I'm a team researcher, um, actually doing team research, doing research on teams in the real world with real world teams is actually very, very difficult um, because usually uh, you don't have the kind of the same level of data available about like the actions and the interactions between team members and how those actions and interactions lead to different outcomes. Mm-hmm. So then that kind of like gives rise to problems like, you know, we can tell that like trust, for example, is really important for team performance, but we don't know how trust develops or how trust affects performance. Video games can potentially be a way that we can understand this better um, purely because they are virtual environments um, with fine-grained data on the actions and interactions in the team question right how do you actually collect data for your research like do you play the game or like like do you (laughs) organize games so that you can observe people playing it yeah so there's a couple of ways and it kind of just depends on the research question and the Mm -hmm. data that's available so if if possible i would use the public apis um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for an application programming interface and it's usually what is um what powers all the third-party analytics sites that players mm-hmm. use to analyze their own matches. So that the same the same sort of service that powers those third party sites is the kind of provides publicly accessible data to anybody. So yeah. uh, so even you could if you wanted to just get Assess the same data that, that I'm mm-hmm. using. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then sometimes the developers don't provide the data that I would want for my research question. Mm-hmm. So for example, uh, let's say I, I'm interested in team communication. Uh, mm. and if I use like League of Legends, there isn't any communication data. They don't give you access oh, okay. to that. So then if I wanted to look at some communication, I would either have to find a different game that gives me communication data or collect it like in a traditional lab-based style. And I've actually done something like that already um, using oh. a game called Portal 2. But that must have been like very, very intensive. Like you have to do so many things from your end. Yeah. Data. Oh my god. Yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. and, and and then it kind of goes back to the same traditional problems that um yeah. we had in uh re- regular this regular or more like real world team research is that mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I had to get people to yeah. come into the lab. Mm-hmm. I had to um uh my my sample size is a lot smaller because of mm-hmm. that, you know, making yeah. sure that everyone is available at the same time, make sure they turn up. Um yeah, and then once I collect the data, um it's a lot of like manual work to get it from mm-hmm. like raw inputs to actual sort of readable data. No, do you seek help from the others? Because I can imagine how much on ground work that you have to do in order for you to get the things that you want. Depending mm-hmm. on the project, I sometimes have people who collaborate with me. So with this, like with the Portal 2 data, uh, Portal 2 study that I just talked to you about, I actually have uh, five other co-authors on that project. And that, mm-hmm. that paper is going to be published, published really soon, so you can actually Ooh. read it next year. I actually went to your website and read up a few articles. And you mentioned about, like, you know, why do you think that video games can actually be used as a team training tool? 
which is very yeah. important in like you know in the current situation where a lot of people are still trying to like you know have split working arrangement and not yeah. having a lot of people gathering around which is what traditional training would be like team building activities right so yeah. why do you think that it would be great especially during this time that's a really old article right i think it's like 20 17 maybe yeah i i, I tried to dig really deep <laughs> <laughs> okay Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, yeah, that time I was working for a really cool startup. Well, mm-hmm. I don't think there's still a startup called Saber. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, so well, one of the reasons is because video games are, um, for one, it depends on what you are trying to train a team for. Mm-hmm. But um, video games are quite accessible. So they are available on any platform that you want to develop them on. You can even create web-based games if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can tweak the game to be you know as easy or as difficult to learn as you like mm-hmm. um but also like games are fun so oh, if you, yeah and <laughs> and the the fun aspect um of these games is a really good like motivator to participate as a team so one of the reasons why i think i observed what i did and why the previous studies has also observed the same findings that like the video game is better than a typical social icebreaker mm-hmm. um is because games are able to like sort of override some of our natural inclinations, depending on obviously the game mm. features and the game mechanics. How so? It's gonna get to that. So <laughs> like in so in in the game like Space Team that I mm. used to sort of help uh, the virtual work teams develop trust. Um, Space Team requires you to communicate. Like you don't even have a choice. Like if you don't, it'll be so awkward. <laughs> Yeah. So then, so then things like like let's say you're an introvert and you really don't like talking, um, mm. but you get um onboarded the first day and then they'll be like, okay, let's have a get to know each other session. Can everybody share a little bit about their personal life? Mm. And if you're naturally like you know not very you don't really like social situations and you don't really like speaking, that kind of situation can can be very daunting and it can be also um. Uh, off-putting for the person mm-hmm. who who's not like naturally comfortable in this kind of situation, and then you you know them less. But then in a game, because it is like ah, I see the, the game itself has mm-hmm. requires you to communicate, so even if you don't like communicating, but you know that you're in a game, you mm. you will. You kind you of have to. <laughs> yeah, you have to. So like this mm. kind of so games have this like magic, almost like magical ability to guide different behaviors depending on like the 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 features, the rules, and the mechanics, and yeah. And mm. so I think that's one. The other thing is there's actually a really interesting paper by um, Z Tubes from New Mexico, and uh, they looked at a um, how video games can be used, how how a, a video game that they developed can be used to train um, to improve coordination in firefighting teams. Oh. Um, and that was a really, really good one because they actually worked with firefighters, like mm-hmm. a real firefighting um, uh, organization. And um, they, the game that they developed looked nothing like a firefighting scenario. Like, it just mm-hmm. looks like a typical video game. And um, they actually found that through playing the game, the firefighters' um, communication became more efficient they were able to, and they were able to coordinate better. Um, and the reason being is because the video games had the same teamwork demands that the firefighters face in their typical firefighting training scenarios. Mm-hmm. And so even though, but then the video games are a lot cheaper to develop because you don't need the physical space, you don't need yeah. the, the fires, you don't need all the equipment, you're, tra- you're training them purely on teamwork skills. Um, yeah, so I think 
especially now, if you cannot physically go anywhere, games in the workplace is going to become probably a bigger thing. How was your parents' reaction when you told them you were going to pursue <laughs> PhD in this area? Like, I can't imagine, you know, Asian parents as per usual. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> um, so my my dad was like, mm-hmm. are you sure? And then my mom was like, are you really sure? <laughs> <laughs> How did you um, convince them? So the same way that I guess I talk to people now about the similarities mm-hmm. between video games, teams in video games and teams in the real world and, and the benefits of using video games for research. So um, you played video games with your parents? <laughs> no, <laughs> it, mm-hmm. no, it was just a lot of like conversation, a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But they eventually came around to it. I mean, they've always been really supportive with what I've been doing in the first place. Because mm. um, one of the things that I, I did when I came back, so I came back to Malaysia actually after my master's, um, before I started my PhD. And this is before I knew what that I was going to end up doing a PhD. Mm. Um, and my parents never pushed me to get a job, a random job anywhere in a bank or something. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of just let me, sort of, they gave me time and space to just decide on my own mm-hmm. um, what I, I wanted to do. And I guess the kind of thing that they always told me was like, as long as I think it's worthwhile, then mm. then go for it. So yeah, they were like quite supportive. They were like, obviously with video games, they were a little bit hesitant at first, but then mm. but then it didn't take too much to convince them that it was worthwhile. Yeah. Mm. So it was it was very smooth progress, and I'm so happy that you have your parents supporting you. You know, it's yeah. things are much more easier when you have your family supporting you, knowing that they will be proud of our achievements right yeah so, i think also hold mm-hmm. on i want to make a comment so i think maybe one of it was also because i managed to get a scholarship uh, <laughs> of course <laughs> yeah so um, so you you got a scholarship to study uh, to pursue your phd for four years yeah. oh that's really cool yeah so that well the phd program i'm on offers mm-hmm. um fully funded um scholarships so basically everybody in my program has a scholarship like nobody mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the interesting demographic that I've noticed from the podcast audience of the Tapao podcast, right, is mm. there's actually there are actually people from like the older generations, like you know, above thirty to fifties that actually out of my surprise are listening to this podcast, you know, other than my parents. <laughs> hi. Hi. Hi mom. <laughs> uh like why do you think the par- parents should allow their kids and playing video games and of course like if we are the kids how are we going to convince our parents that hey actually playing video games is not as bad as what you think there's a couple of ways to look at it i think one Mm -hmm. as like as a hobby playing video games i mean for for our generation and and younger you know the digital space is our playground we no longer go out and play for us like (laughs) literally playing in all these virtual worlds is is our way of playing in the playground so um so in that kind in that sense like if you let your if you if you used to believe that your kids should go out and play in the playground with other kids, then I think playing video games is the same thing because we we know now that like some of the most popular games are multiplayer online games. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of games know that uh, game developers know that um, the social aspect, being able to allow players to to play with each other, to connect, to bond, that's all really important. And there's also mm-hmm. you know like uh, benefits to your mental well being from being able to stay connected. Um, and there's, there's especially every, this pandemic especially this pandemic yeah mm-hmm. yeah so actually in the US I think they found like a 70% 75% increase in gaming 
um, mm-hmm. during the start of the pandemic. And um, in terms of like what this, what gaming is doing to people, we see that um, games are sort of helping people keep connections and it's helping people form friendships. And, and we know that, yeah, this is all really, having good social connections is, is good for your mental well-being. Um, so that's one aspect to it. The other thing that I guess people are, parents are concerned is that like their kids will be playing too much. You know, um, and that's kind of normal. Uh, fair enough, but I think parents also kind of need to um, understand now that the the landscape is kind of changing, and mm-hmm. they probably be really uh, sure that their understanding of what is too much really is too much. Because, so for example, earlier in um, earlier this year, I had met a parent in the UK who was really concerned, and they said to me, you know, my my 13-year-old son, <laughs> he's addicted to Fortnite. He plays mm-hmm. it so often. He's playing it so often that he wants to become a Fortnite uh, professional player. Mm-hmm. And, I just, I, and I just don't think that's possible. And, and so mm-hmm. then I, I kind of asked this parent, you know, where, where are your sentiments coming from? Like, why do mm-hmm. you... First, first, how often is your, your boy playing? And two, um, why don't you think it's possible for him to become a professional level? Mm-hmm. So then the first... The first um, answer to that question he said is oh my boy is playing about two hours a day uh and we know that to become a professional you need to play eight hours a day at least oh well eight well that's a lot of commitment yeah so and Mm. then so then that kind of led to the same uh the the kind of um argument that if you want to become a professional at anything you would spend most of your time doing that thing just like how a football player doesn't spend two hours a day playing football he spends eight hours a day training Mm -hmm. and kicking the ball into the goalposts and so for kids to want to become esports players like that's actually not impossible now Mm -hmm. and there are lots of different um, after school programs and college programs and uh, even universities um, so societies and organizations that are trying to support young talent into the scene uh, through scholarships, through training, through coaching. Um, and even, I, I know in Australia with like League of Legends, um, Riot Games has a, a program where they say, um, what's it called? I think it's League League for School, School for League. Anyway. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, well, it's, it's the idea that they're using League of Legends to teach mm-hmm. kids, um, to teach high school kids the um, what good sportsmanship looks like. Mm. And how to be how to be better and more cooperative um, players. Our concerned parents, it's usually like um, my my advice is usually mm-hmm. to sit down with your child and like really understand what their passions are and how often they're spending um, on these games and mm. understand like kind of educate yourself with like how much it actually takes to become a professional player. Yeah. Um, and to be aware because you know if if your child is talented, if your child can actually play really well then it's better to invest in them than to just, you know, force yeah. them to, to do things that they're just not passionate and not naturally um, capable good at. of doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, naturally good at, exactly. And yeah, communicate. <laughs> not just yeah. virtually, but yeah. know, within any normal relationship. And yeah. esports is definitely growing like crazy right now. Like, you know, yeah. especially during this pandemic, who knows where the person will end up with. They say that esports will be the spots with the like the most number of people playing soon enough <laughs> so, yeah probably yeah especially right now like it's the growth is just exponential there are so many careers that i can see out of this like you know i've seen people that are like 
working as sports psychologist and an e-sport coach and what do you think of those careers and do you think they will become increasingly important or do you think you know after the whole pandemic fades away there might not be demand of such careers i think I don't think the career, these career options are specifically tied to the pandemic. I think they're just mm-hmm. becoming a bit more obvious now because mm. during the pandemic, we're seeing that like it's becoming more obvious that people are actually playing games and now they're playing more games because all you can do online is mm. play games, I guess. Um, so, but I, I think over time, like as, yeah, as there are more of these competitive scenes in games, mm-hmm. there will be a, a greater need for sports psychologists um there'll be a greater need for you know psychologists who understand how to help uh athletes perform well mm-hmm. um to maintain their their mental health to maintain their physical health i guess importantly like what happens to them after you yeah know, a lot of these mm-hmm. a lot of these professional um uh esports players are usually very young and their mm-hmm. careers um, by the time they end their careers, they are still like maybe in their mid twenties. Yeah. So you know, really mm-hmm. understanding what are the options for them afterwards. There will be a lot of career opportunities. I think even some that we don't even know of right now. Like we're not even we can't even conceive what these uh, career paths are mm-hmm. right now. Do you see yourself uh, seeing that as like a potential um, option after you know sometime in the future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess I think I, I'm keeping quite open. Really happy to be within the esports scene, um, but I think because of sort of my specialization right now mm-hmm, on like mm-hmm. on like sort of new teams and teams of strangers, um, the kind of work that I would do with more would either be in the training aspect or I could be someone that informs uh, the design of games of how to make people more pro social mm-hmm. and help or how to help teams um, improve their teamwork in a short amount of time outside of video games in in team development. Um, mm. And then, like, what we have talked about earlier, like, you know, with video gaming and, of course, everything, there are always, like, two sides of mm. it. Like, of course, play with moderation, but we, we can't really undermine, like, how big this thing is going to be and how important it is for us to make the best out of the, the tools that we have, actually, in this pandemic. But what are some of the exciting things that you see coming out of, like, you know, this industry and in general? So I think it's probably to do with how we use games to train. There is already a very active space of game-based stuff. So game-based assessments and game-based learning. So, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the whole idea of like doing... By doing research on commercial video games, uh, where we have these huge mm-hmm. data sets and these huge database of players, um, we can start to pick out, you know, like, for example, what what accelerates the bonds that strangers form in a short amount of time that they play together. And mm-hmm. uh, we can mm-hmm. then take out that feature, whatever that feature is in the game, and then put it into mm-hmm. a... Uh, and using simulations to train employees and yeah. to some extent teams as well. So I think with more and more research like in actual video games, um, there will be a lot more growth as well in like this space of using games for different things in the workplace mm-hmm. i remember like when i when i was applying for my job after my graduation there were quite a few of like game-based assessments and mm-hmm. you know after working in a in a corporation right now i wouldn't be surprised if like the corporations start to you know like adopting this kind of like game-based training to so that we can you know know our team members better and i'm really excited to see how far this will go and yeah 
Thank you so much, Evelyn, for today. Can you share with us one thing that you're grateful for during this pandemic? Oh, that I can still fly back home. Oh. <laughs> I thought I was oh going to get God. stuck in the mm-hmm. UK. Um, <laughs> and it's currently in lockdown right now. So it's yeah. definitely a good time to be back. Yeah. Yeah, and so if any of our audiences are interested in your research, can you share with us how we can stay connected with you? So I am most active on LinkedIn, but I'm even mm-hmm. even then I'm not that active. <laughs> but mm-hmm. if you want to see some of like day-to-day stuff, then my Twitter um, is also where you can get me at. So my Twitter mm-hmm. and LinkedIn are both even TCN Tan. Reach mm-hmm. out to me there, um, and hopefully I'll get to chat to some pretty interesting people on this side of the world. Yeah, anywhere, and really. I will also link the news that I found uh, Evelyn on at the end uh, on my Instagram as well. So thank you so much, Evelyn. Thank you so much, Jada. Oh, mm-hmm. I was going to say as well, uh, there was an article that was just released by the Vul- Vulcan Post. Oh, wow, oh, you're on Vulcan as well. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I hope that you have enjoyed today's content. Don't forget to click on the subscribe button and stream all of our episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and YouTube. Are you interested in becoming a part of this podcast? Drop me a DM on Instagram at J-A-I-D-A underscore O-W. Stay healthy, stay safe. I'm Jada Al from the Tapa Podcast and I'll talk to you in the next episode.